0: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Here's what's coming up on The Exchange. Markets are hovering near record highs, and one strategist says he's been buying some of the recently beaten down names, including Boeing and Facebook. What's got him looking past negative headlines and seeing 100 percent potential upside in both. JetBlue posting better than expected results, but issuing weaker guidance for next quarter, citing pressure from fuel prices and labor costs. An exclusive interview with CEO Robin Hayes just moments away. And some big names reporting after the bell today. We'll get the action, the story and the trades on Ford, eBay and Sonova in today's earnings. Exchange. When we begin with the markets, no DOM today. So I'll take his place over here at the Telestrator. Let's begin with stocks more broadly. The Dow is now down 105 points today. uh, So it's really turned negative by almost a third of 1% now. The S&P is still slightly in positive territory by less than a point. Look at the NASDAQ, though. This is the story of the day. It's up two-thirds of 1% in the green now you might say well of course we've had some strong tech earnings we've also had a pretty significant drop in bond yields take a look here at the 10-year yield hovering today just around look under 155 this is an extraordinary chart if you trace this all the way back to last thursday When we were nearly up at 1.7 percent right here, this has been a straight move lower for all of the talk about hyperinflation from Jack Dorsey and everybody else today. Uh, This is a significant move. We're going to have more on this in a moment. The 30-year yield is also below 2 percent now for the first time in a month. And this story is really playing out. On pretty much a global level as well. Now, in fairness, again, in the NASDAQ, we do have some pretty significant gains with big cap tech today. Microsoft up 4.5%. Now, Alphabet adding 6%. These names up about 45 and 66% year to date. Alphabet hitting all time highs. It's actually up about 70% since January right now. Flip side are Twitter and Robinhood. They're getting hit pretty hard today. Look at Twitter down 9.5%. This is a $55 stock. It's lower now than it was back in 2014. It's also its biggest earnings drop since April on that disappointment there. Similar story with Robinhood. It's now trading below its IPO price on this more than 10 percent decline after its report last night. A big revenue miss, lower crypto activity, even though Bitcoin prices and crypto was on the rise last quarter, lower monthly active users for HUD. So let's begin today with this talk in bond yields and the rollover in stocks. Joining me now, Mark Avalon is president of Potomac Wealth Advisors and Chris Crisanti is chief equity strategist and senior portfolio manager at MAI Capital Management. Welcome to both of you, Mark. I'll start with you. What do you think bonds are telling us right now?
1: Bonds are telling us that when you have an environment with uh, higher rates, if they manifest themselves, higher regulation, higher taxes, and you go back to some of the slower growth problems we had in Europe before COVID, that maybe global growth doesn't get out of control. China's certainly mired in a little bit of a, a quandary. So I think what's happening in the interest rate markets, they're saying, hey, slow down. This may not just spiral out of control and be an an unmitigated growth spurt for several years to come and that there are risks to economic expansion.
0: Which doesn't sound like you're overly concerned, uh, but maybe we're just not. I mean, are we taking off the inflation uh, trades, Chris?
2: Kelly, it's nice to be with you again. I don't think so. I, I think what you've seen over the last six months really is a delta variant Uh, uh, caused slowdown. So that is going to start to go away in the fourth quarter. I think you'll see it next week in the PMI numbers and the employment report. I think you're going to see an upsurge to the economy and to earnings growth in the fourth quarter, and we'll be back to higher interest rates. But I don't think that's the end of the world. I think uh, more inflation is kind of a feature of a growing economy. So I'm okay with that.
0: All right. And obviously, the flip side of that is strong demand, you know, strong GDP and that kind of thing. If we get there, Mark, tell me why you're sticking with big tech, despite, as you say, the parroted nonsense of rising yields uh, hurting those names. Again, maybe we don't have to worry about that thesis today. Anyhow,
1: that's right. And maybe that's one of the reasons you're seeing tech do so well today and, and JP Morgan lagging. But look this this discussion that if we turn into a higher rate world that technology stocks suffer that's that's 1990 stuff that's not going to even affect the the alphabets and microsofts and facebooks of today's it might impact non-earning disruptive tech spacs the Teladocs, the, the the zooms of the world who are unproven so i think whether rates rise or whether they don't i don't think that's a reason to sell out of tech we think that that's that's a place investors want to be. You obviously need to diversify around that. We've talked about some other ideas before about where investors can be. But but technology is at the core of our investment thesis.
0: Chris, where's technology for you? And why do you look to names like Boeing and Facebook, which many people would just put in the too hard pile and
2: walk away from? Well, it's, it's funny, Kelly, because because the more someone agrees with you, the, the smarter you think they are. And, and I think Mark's a real smart guy because I, I think exactly the same. I, I think that uh, if you look at the revenue growth, not just the earnings, but revenue, and that's the tough thing to get for a big company. The revenue growth at Google, at Facebook, it's just phenomenal. You've never seen, at least in my career, such strong revenue growth. So Facebook obviously has issues. But, but I'd remind investors, if it's in the headlines, it's in the stock. And three or four years ago when the Cambridge Analytica scandal uh, rose and folks thought Facebook was done for it and the stock dropped 40 percent, that was a terrific buying opportunity. I think we're at the same place here. On the other hand, I really like Boeing. And Boeing, as my partner put it today, is a catalyst-driven stock, except the catalyst isn't earnings. It's getting the darn planes delivered. And I think they're getting there, as the call intimated this morning. So it's a long haul, but I think you'll be well rewarded with both of those stocks.
0: One final note on the Facebook issue, Chris. We spoke with a guest recently who thinks that litigation could be a bigger risk than regulation to the shares. What about the litigation route? Could they end up facing you know a decade worth of pressure and big payouts like we saw with Big sure. Tobacco?
2: There's no doubt, Kelly, that in, in in the America we live in today, litigation is on the way. <laughs> Having said that, there are plenty of terrific investments, uh, including J.P. Morgan, which paid billions and billions of dollars of, of litigation expense to the financial crisis and ended up being a terrific investment the whole time. I'd remind uh, folks that are old enough to remember that Microsoft had the huge antitrust case in the mm-hmm. 1990s. And tripled over the time it was in the litigation. So I wouldn't let that scare you away.
0: All right. Just had to press on that. Guys, really appreciate it. Talking both specifics and big picture today. Uh, Mark Avalone and Chris Grisanti. We appreciate it. Let's turn to shares of JetBlue, which are lower after reporting a smaller than expected third quarter loss. For more on the quarter and the state of air travel, Phil LeBeau is here with the CEO of JetBlue, Robin Hayes. Phil?
3: Thank you, Kelly. Uh, Robin, thanks for joining us today on The Exchange. Uh, let's talk about the third quarter, a narrower than expected loss. Uh, like so many other airlines, you did see an increase in uh, traffic and demand in September as we saw COVID cases dropping. What do you see when you look at the fourth quarter and how worried are you
4: about jet fuel prices? Uh, hi, Phil. Uh, no, uh, yes, we were pleased with the uh, quarter. And uh, you know, as we look at quarter four, we really see... Um, good strength for the Thanksgiving and then the uh, holiday season, and uh, we're also seeing some continue to see uh, some slow recovery of uh, business travel. So overall, very happy with uh, what we're what we're seeing. And on, on fuel, obviously we're in a period here of uh, elevated uh, fuel prices. Uh, it's a significant input cost uh, for airlines, but but we've you know we've seen that uh, we've seen that before, and uh, we we continue to predict strong demand into 2022.
3: Robin, you guys historically see your mix of passengers in the third in the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter it in the summer it skews towards the leisure side. You start to see a, a mixed transition towards the business side the corporate traveler. How do you feel about corporate travel right now?
4: Well uh clearly um, you know leisure has been much stronger than uh, business travel that's really been the story of uh twenty uh twenty one and uh, we continue to see uh, business travel uh, claw its way back as people head back to the offices and companies are are, are doing business again. We do think that's going to continue into uh, 2022. And, of course, uh, with our partnership uh, with American Airlines, the Northeast Alliance, uh, by next summer, JetBlue is going to be about 50 percent bigger in New York than we were in 2019. And that's going to give us a very significant opportunity to serve both more business and leisure travelers. You brought up the Northeast
3: Alliance. Let's talk about um, this. The DOJ thinks you guys should not be allowed to do this with American Airlines. I know you've had strong comments. We've talked to Doug Parker last week. He said he, uh, he thinks this is ridiculous and that the DOJ is completely wrong. Wh- what do you say to the DOJ? And have you had many meetings? Has your team had many meetings with them where you've said, look, this is not hurting competition?
4: It's, it's a real head scratcher. Um, I mean, the DOJ has uh, presided over uh, significant consolidation in the U.S., where we have really four large airlines controlling 80 percent of the uh, share. Um, the NEA is an incredible opportunity for JetBlue uh, to get much bigger uh, quickly. It's going to allow uh, more JetBlue markets. We're going to be flying to places we're already flying to places we've never flown before before. Uh, we're entering um, 12 a day at the end of uh, October between Boston and LaGuardia. We've had fares on that market filed for under $30. I mean, I haven't seen fares that low uh, for so long. A London um, uh, route has started, again, significantly disrupting fares. So, it's it's a proven fact that even the DOJ doesn't contest that when JetBlue comes on the market, service gets better and fares go down. And so, surely a bigger JetBlue is good for competition. Plus, We can partner with American Airlines to create this real third uh, meaningful competitor in the uh, Northeast. So I think they're playing wrong. It's a head scratcher to me. We are going to continue to uh, uh, grow here and roll out more and more benefits and uh, demonstrate more routes and lower fares is in the consumer's interest.
3: Robin, one last question. You mentioned the transatlantic service that you began in the third quarter. We know that the Europeans will be able to come into the U.S. starting next Monday. How much demand are you seeing in terms of people in the U.K. who want to take advantage of your service, who are booking flights, who are saying, yes, I want to come to the U.S.?
4: Oh, uh, it's incredible. I mean, I uh, I, I was looking at uh, some of our loads for that first flight. I mean, we have flights either full or nearly full, and I'm sure our competitors are the same. There's so much pent-up demand out of the uh, UK. We've seen that time and time again, Phil, as a market opens up, that pent-up demand books quickly, it comes back quickly, people want to fly. And so we're very excited uh, for next, uh, for the uh, start of uh, 8th of November. And we think it's going to be a great uh, fall and winter season for our transatlantic operation. Robin
3: Hayes, CEO of JetBlue, joining us today on The Exchange. Robin, thank you very much. Kelly, I'll send it back to you with this note. We have talked to every CEO who has transatlantic service, and all of them, all of them are saying what Robin is saying, that there is just incredible demand from Europe. I think we're going to see huge numbers coming on those transatlantic flights, at least for the next month or two.
0: Yeah, no, and it was also fascinating to hear his take on that alliance that that they are pushing for. Phil, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Our Philobo bringing us the CEO of JetBlue. Now, we have some news out of the bond market. We had a five year auction, top of the hour. Really strong. Bond yields are dropping even more. Rick Santelli with the results. Rick?
5: Yes, Kelly. Normally, one would suspect on a day where the market's rallying in treasuries, pushing yields down, that would take away any concession to be aggressively bidding in an auction. But untrue today, I gave this auction an A as an Apple, $61 billion five years priced it the dutch auction one point one five seven the one issue market had a low of one point one six before the auction results as you see the big drop on your screen at one eastern Uh, Many believe that there's so many moving parts, especially on what's considered a short maturity or mid market in the five year that have to do with not only inflation and finance and the Fed, but just general demand for the instrument, which is really showing up. And it tells us a lot about investors that they are looking at maybe the recent move, not necessarily questioning the long term implications of inflation, but whether the market can stay at these levels. Can they try to dance between the raindrops? And finally, if I look at all the metrics to this auction, everything other than direct bidders was the best since the auctions of August of 2020. Kelly, back to you. That
0: 10-year looks like it wants to drop below 1.5% again. If it did, Rick, that would be a huge about-face. We're still about three or four basis points away.
5: Listen, if a 10 year node has a close anytime for the rest of the year under 1.45, I will go on record saying that the 1.74 high yield close of the year is locked and loaded in place. Wow.
0: Rick, we thank you. Uh, again, a big turnaround in the bond space over the past week, highlighted by that five year auction just a few moments ago. Still ahead. Yep. Oh, I bet Rick was still
5: talking. I think it's going to go below 145.
0: Okay. <laughs> We're still ahead. We'll speak with the CEO of Steeple on the heels of their quarterly results. We're going to get Ron Krzyzewski's take on the market, this move in rates and the risks he sees for investors. Plus, about a third of the S&P 500 is reported earnings now, but we're still in for a busy afternoon. And earnings exchange is back with a look ahead at some of the biggest names on deck and the trades. We're back in a moment.
6: This is the exchange on CNBC.
0: Welcome back to The Exchange. With the market sitting at records, everyone's interested in stocks again, and that's been driving up profits in investment banks. Stiefel reported record client assets of $407 billion in the third quarter, up 25% from a year ago, with the company posting its second best quarter ever. Joining me now with more on earnings and the potential headwinds for markets, Ron Kaszewski is the chairman and CEO of Stiefel Financial. It's great to have you back. Really an impressive quarter, and You know, at a time of historically low interest rates, which are supporting deals, supporting the stock market activity, but supposed to be themselves a headwind for financials. Do you think your company can continue to post performance like this, you know, quarter after quarter after quarter? Is this sort of a a one time perfect storm in a good way?
7: Well, I don't think it's a perfect storm, but I also have to tell you, Kelly, I mean, our revenues uh, are up 30 percent. Our profits up 70 percent. I wouldn't say that we're going to post that quarter after quarter at all. I mean, I, uh, but what's going on, it's, it's been a very strong market for us. Our, our performance has been phenomenal since the pandemic. And we sort of epitomize what's going on, and that is demand for services. Our services is through the roof and demand for goods across the economy is just through the roof. And, and you really have to ask yourself, from an investment point of view, you know, what can cause that to change? Because that's really what's going on. It isn't so much supply chain bottlenecks. It's just huge demand.
0: Why do you cite demand, especially for goods? Again, I think of you guys as basically a dollars shop, not a, not a physical goods shop. You know what I'm saying?
7: No, we are, and I, I meant to say that uh, for us, though the demand for our services because of just uh, look, if you, we are a, a dollar shop, and when you put five point four trillion uh, dollars of fiscal uh, mm-hmm. stimulus in the middle of the economy, we're going to be busy. That's just that's. <laughs> I don't want to say it any more than that, but but also the demand for goods, uh, which is what you're reading about with all the supply chain. It's it, it's tremendous. And, uh, but there are some things that are going to cause that to begin to potentially dissipate, and, and that's going to have implications for, this, for the equity markets.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that for a moment. You know, the news out of D.C. is very fast shifting, and we get comments from Senator Manchin even in the past couple of hours about, you know, kind of the the tax proposals he would or wouldn't back to pay for the spending bill. Do you think that higher taxes are a potential headwind next year? Because I'm not even sure they're going to be going up on high earners, depending on what happens with SALT.
7: Well, you know, look, any time I think you you, ta- you raise taxes and take it out of the the private sector, that, that is in some form um, a headwind. Frankly, what's what's going on today, I think we have to just wait and see. I, I It seems like every five minutes there's a new proposal on taxes, and uh, in some of them are, you know, pretty uh, uh, transformative might be a nice word versus <laughs> radical, but it's, uh, it's something that I think we, we, we can watch. I think the bigger, the bigger thing that, that investors have to think about is that we have put so much money in the system that what has to happen, in my opinion, is we need to start sort of letting air out of the balloon. And where that is going to come is the Fed. Yeah. And the Fed has to start tapering QE. Here's a number that'll, that'll, that, that bothers me as a finance guy. We're putting $130 billion a month into the economy through QE. Yet on the other side of the ledger, we got $1.4 trillion in repo mm-hmm. at the Fed. And I just want you to think about it. That's like pouring money in on one side and taking it out on the other. We, we need to uh, start tapering and ending QE. And that has implications for the market.
0: We could probably have a whole separate chat about the Fed and how they're trying to become the dealer of last resort and really in the middle of the sort of financial and money market system in a way that the private sector really used to be. And maybe that makes things more stable, but it also makes them more entrenched. I guess my final question is, what do you think happens on the inflation versus deflation tug of war? You know, where and how do you see this shaking out over the next three to six to nine months?
7: Well, it's a great question. I, I, I wish I knew the answer. I'd be it'd be a perfect investor if I actually knew the perfect answer. Mm-hmm. What What I suspect is, on one hand, you've got you've got rates, you know, pulling down, uh, just what you and Rick were just talking about. Yet, with the way I look at it, China has uh, has prices going up. That's going to impact prices across the uh, the world. Um, Transitory, demand may be transitory, but I have to tell you, Kelly, we are seeing real labor cost increases, real, across all businesses, and a labor force participation, meaning our people wanting to go to work, that's declining. And you add all that up, I think inflation isn't going to be hyper. But personally, I think 3 percent inflation and real interest rates rising is a real possibility and that has implications for you know high growth companies, crypto and and many of these assets that don't have income. That's what's going to be at risk when you uh, have a reckoning with both uh, the end of QE and inflation expectations increasing. That's just my opinion from here in the middle of the country here in in St. Louis. (laughs) No,
0: that's why we check in with you, absolutely. (laughs) A pretty clear warning there, Ron, and we always enjoy speaking with you. Thanks for your time today.
7: Always good to talk to you, Kelly. Have a great day.
0: Ron Gruszewski is the CEO and chairman of Steeple Financial. Still ahead, as we mentioned, Senator Manchin giving the thumbs down to the unrealized capital gains tax idea. So where does this leave the Democrat spending bill? The details from D.C. are ahead. And as we head to break, here's the earnings scorecard as we move through the busiest week of the season. The bottom line growth rate for companies up 37 percent from a year ago, with companies beating on average by about 12 percent. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll have the top stocks to watch after the bell as our earnings exchange continues. Stay Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We're about evenly split between the highs and lows of the session right now. The Dow's down 82 points or a quarter percent, but the S&P is still up 7. The Nasdaq is up 125 points today on strong earnings and falling rates. Let's check the sectors where communication services and consumer discretionary are leading the way. Again, very tech-heavy mix there. Energy, the biggest lagger, down 2.3%. Harley-Davidson shares are higher after beating estimates on the top and bottom line. Their gross profit margin actually dropped three percentage points as they faced cost pressures, but they highlighted stronger volume, higher prices, and maintained their core guidance, expecting full-year motorcycle revenue to still grow 30 to 35%. Hog shares are up 8.5% today. They're still well down from their May high, and they are trying to snap a four-month losing streak, their longest since 2018. The payment stocks, meantime, are under pressure after Visa gave conservative revenue guidance for next year. Take a look at Fiserv, down almost 13% today. Visa down 5% for its part. MasterCard down 6%. Fidelity National Global Payments. Again, Visa, MasterCard, maybe the best stocks of the 2010s. Big question marks now, as there's so much more competition in the payment space. And finally, Bitcoin, speaking of competition in the payment space, it's down almost 5% today. It's back below 60,000 by about 900 bucks. It's now down 10% from its record high of just over 65,000 exactly a week ago. And the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, the ticker BITO, it's lower today as well. And it's down 10% since its debut last Tuesday. Now to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler.
6: Hi, Kelly. Thank you very much. Here's what's happening at this hour. I will take initial findings for $20. In Santa Fe, New Mexico, law enforcement officials have given their initial findings on the fatal movie set shooting involving Alec Baldwin. Authorities have recovered what they are calling a lead projectile they believe was fired from the gun that killed cinematographer Halnya Hutchins. The county sheriff says more work needs to be done before indictments can be considered. It's too early
4: right now in the investigation to comment on charges at this point. The investigation will continue and if the sheriff's office determines during our investigation a crime has occurred and probable cause exists, arrest, an arrest or arrests will be made and charges will be filed.
6: On the news, ammo and guns also found on the uh, movie set, uh, where the investigation goes next. That is at 7 tonight on the news with Shep Smith. Former New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristoff is running for governor of Oregon, the state where he grew up. Kristoff left the Times earlier this month. He frequently wrote about economic and social problems. In Oregon, Kristoff will run as a Democrat in a primary that is already crowded. And French bakeries are warning customers that baguette prices may rise. They say higher wheat and fuel costs are to blame. Prices expected to go up about a nickel to just over a dollar. It's still worth it. That may not seem like a lot, but it's a big deal for the iconic French food staple. Over the past 20 years, baguette prices have only risen about 25 cents. Still, boy, nothing beats it. <sighs>
0: Kelly? I know. Tyler, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Tyler Matheson. Up next, will Ford drive down the same disappointing road as GM? Can eBay catch a bid higher? And solar stocks are hot this month. Will Sunova's results shine? It's all coming up in earnings exchange. Before we head to break, take a look at shares of Royal Dutch Shell. Dan Loeb's third point revealing a huge stake in their latest investor letter, urging Shell to separate into two companies one kind of the old fossil fuel business, a newer one anchored by LNG. Uh, Shares are up about 2% on the news. We have more on that coming up in Power Lunch. We're back in a moment. Welcome back everybody. Time now once again for Earnings Exchange, where we get the action, the story, and the trade on three key earnings reports coming up after the bell. Today's lineup, Ford, eBay, and Sonova. Let's kick it off with Ford. The street expecting revenues around thirty-eight billion dollars, earnings of twenty-seven cents a share. Shares are up nearly eighty percent this year as the company dives deeper into the EV world with huge demand for the F-150 all-electric Lightning. Joining me now is Phil LeBeau, and our trader today is Danielle Shea. She's the VP of Options at Simpler Trading. Phil, GM just this morning, disappointing. They're talking about trying to catch up to Tesla. What about Ford?
3: Uh, look, when you look at Ford today, two things are going to stand out from the company. What do they say about the chip crisis and cost pressure in the near term? What kind of guidance do they give us for the fourth quarter? And And frankly, unless it's To the moon, I think people are going to be kind of disappointed. That's what we saw with General Motors. And longer term, the question becomes, are they still on track for the F-150 Lightning and for the slew of electric vehicles that they plan to roll out? Uh, Those are really the two areas that are going to get the most attention from the earnings report and then obviously the conference call.
0: All right, Danielle, I know you're a big fan of Tesla. What about Ford? So, you know, Ford is actually my
8: favorite automaker, excluding Tesla, of course, because I consider it more of a technology company. But looking at Ford here, you know, the price of the stock has risen so much this year. And I think we're going to get a buy the rumor, sell the news situation, which I think would be a perfect opportunity to pick up shares. I would love to pick up some more shares in Ford around about the $14 price point. And I'm looking for about an $80 price target. So if we get that move today, sell the news on earnings pick up some shares. I think we'll be good to go into next year.
0: For our options friends, Danielle, anything you'd recommend in that vein? So for options,
8: friends, typically up at highs like this, what I would do is I would sell a call credit spread or sell some calls. Another thing that you could do is sell some puts, especially if you're looking to pick up the shares at a lower price point.
0: All right. So there you have it. Something a little simpler to the point of simpler trading and something a little more complicated. Uh, Phil, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Our Phil LeBeau with a preview of what Ford might say. Let's move along to eBay. The company has beaten EPS estimates every quarter in the past two years as the pandemic drove big surges in e-commerce growth. It leaves eBay up against some tough comps. The street expects earnings of 88 cents a share on nearly two and a half billion dollars in revenue. eBay's also had a nice year with shares up more than 50 percent. Dear Drabosa, how can they build on this? And I also wonder if they'll have any kind of subliminal commentary about PayPal's abandoned bid for Pinterest.
9: Yes, that could be very interesting. But, Kelly, you also hit on the key question. Can it keep this post this pandemic run going post-pandemic? The key metric will be GMV, that's gross merchandise volume. It'll be a signal of that. But also what will be really key here is its take rate. So even if that GMV number, the volume number, has decreased, the take rate will be interesting because it will tell us how much their new payment system is helping them increase profitability. And payments is interesting and ironic, of course, you alluded to this, Kelly, because it used to be part of PayPal, or PayPal was part of eBay, however you <laughs> want to look at it, and now PayPal may be looking at Pinterest. Convoluted way of saying that social commerce and payments—they are increasingly going together, and eBay will really show you the benefit of this. Also, just a quick note on supply chain challenge, supply chain challenges. eBay may actually be a beneficiary of this because there's a saying, "eBay never sells out." So buyers may actually be turning to eBay if they can't find what they want on other platforms.
0: That's a really interesting point. I've heard the same case for some of the secondhand uh, uh, fashion platforms as well. All right. So uh, tell me, Danielle, what do you think about the stock? So
8: I completely agree on all those points. I really like the stock. Um, But with this one as well, I think it's trading a little bit high right now. So I wouldn't want to buy in here. And even though eBay does historically beat on earnings, they also very frequently trade lower post earnings. So I think that would be an opportunity to pick up some shares anywhere between the 70, 73 price point, uh, I think would be a good bet. I'm looking at an $82.00 price target on this stock. I think that the gig economy, the work from home, you know, everybody's trying to figure out why people don't want jobs, I mean, They can sell things on eBay, Pinterest,
0: Etsy. Sure. Uh, So I'm definitely a fan of the stock, but I would prefer to buy it at lower prices. Just a quick question, Danielle. Sort of taking a a turn, but a related one here. We just showed the big drops in stocks like Visa and MasterCard today. They've been such powerhouses over the past decade, but there's so much competition in payments now. What would you do with those two names here? What do you think about the trading action today across the the whole spectrum where we have some of the names down 10 12%?
8: Well, they definitely have a lot of competition. And the fact of the matter is, is, you know, the younger generations, I mean, they're going towards things like Venmo. And so for me personally, I look towards Square and I look towards PayPal and I say, hey, you know, this is the way of the future. Can Visa and MasterCard keep up with Visa in particular? It needs to hold up above the $220 price point for me to be interested. But if we can see buyers come in and hold up
0: above that level, I think that it should stabilize. All right. It's a 219 and change right now. So those are some key areas to watch. Deirdre, thank you. We appreciate our Deirdre Bosa. There as we wait eBay after the bell, and finally let's look at Sonova. The street is expecting a loss here, but solar stocks have been on a tear lately, in part on hopes the industry could get big funding from Biden's infrastructure bill. Fellow solar company Enphase, look at Enphase now. It is massively running after its earnings beat. It's up about 27% today. That's got Sonova already up about 7%. Let's bring in Pippa Stevens. Pippa, with more. Um, I mean, again, we we talked about this yesterday. These stocks really tend to run in a group here.
10: Yeah, and you can just see that with what's going on right now. Enphase is lifting the entire sector. The company said that they saw a record demand. They're navigating the supply chain headwinds um, and looking forward. They gave optimistic guidance. But it's important to remember that when it comes to the solar industry, it really is a stock-specific story. So looking ahead to SONOVA, shares are up more than nine percent right now. So there are some expectations that you hear some optimism from them. They've said that they can navigate the current parts situation for the rest of the year. So next year's guidance will be really important, how they're navigating higher raw material costs. And then of course, customer acquisition. They've been really busy lately. They expanded to 100 Home Depot stores in Home Depot stores in four states that are storm-prone. So they're really trying to target customers who might wanna go just beyond solar and also look to things like storage. Yesterday, they announced a partnership with ChargePoint. So it speaks to this trend within the solar industry of moving beyond just rooftop panels and to a whole holistic suite of products.
0: It's fascinating because at the same time, look what's happening. You have third point pressuring Shell to sort of, you know, get on board with uh, sort of the future of renewables. Danielle, you talked about how you're a fan of Tesla as a technology play. Do you mess with the solar stocks here?
8: Yes, I do. And you know what? I actually just got an in-phase system installed in my house, and I think that the importance of pairing the battery with the solar system is absolutely critical. So when you're looking at Sunnova, I think that's going to be an important factor. And right now, I mean, this company, it's pretty fresh, it's pretty new. As far as earnings is concerned, we don't have a lot of amazing data. Yes, I think it's great that they got into Home Depot, and I think there's a lot of potential for growth here. Um, But what I'm most interested in it for right now here today is the fact that it has 14 percent high short interest and it's going into earnings if they do in fact manage to have a positive earnings report this could set off a really big short squeeze tomorrow that would absolutely be tradable so if that does occur um even though it would be on a gap up, I would still buy it just to trade the short squeeze, not necessarily the long-term play.
0: And that's a great sort of reminder that for a lot of people, this is still about a trading instead of a sort of long-term investment for the space, even if you have one in your house, as you mentioned uh, in the case of Enphase. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, Pippa, thank you. We really appreciate the reporting. Pippa Stevens, we look forward to Sonova after the bell. And Danielle, thanks for all your thoughts and trades today. It's great to have you. Danielle Shea is with Simpler Trading. Still ahead, Joe Manchin defending the ultra-wealthy, saying they've created a lot of jobs and he does not support the billionaire's tax. If he continues to hold out, can the Democrats get anything done on the infrastructure bill funding front? The latest on the tax standoff is next. Welcome back, everybody. Democratic lawmakers are scrambling to sort out ways to pay for their social spending plan before the president leaves office for the COP26 climate summit in Scotland. And he's leaving tomorrow. Elon Moy joins me now with the very latest. Lots of headlines today, Elon.
11: Well, yeah, Kelly, there are still a lot of questions about exactly how these new tax proposals would work, and they're coming from within the party. Now, the legislative text of the billionaire's income tax is out, but one key Democratic senator, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, did not sound sold on the idea this morning.
4: People in the stratosphere, rather
12: than trying to penalize them, we ought to be pleased that this country is able to produce the wealth. I, I don't like the connotation that we're targeting different people. There's people that basically they've contributed to society. They create a lot of jobs and invest a lot of money and give a lot to philanthropic uh, pursuits.
11: Now, instead, he floated the idea of a patriot tax that would require everyone to pay something every single year, but he did not elaborate on how he would achieve that. There's also some resistance to other revenue raisers, like the bank reporting rules and international tax reform. There is one idea, however, that is gaining traction, and that is the corporate minimum tax. Democrats want to create a 15 percent rate for companies with over a billion dollars in profits. Now, Manchin said that's something everyone has agreed to, and even Arizona. Senator Kirsten Cinema gave it her stamp of approval, calling it a common-sense step. Now, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has said that an agreement is within arm's reach and he wants to have a framework announced today. But, Kelly, they still got a lot of work to do. Back I, over to you.
0: I wonder what the total uh, sort of number is for the size of the bill and what programs are in it, because I believe Manchin was also talking about maybe health care and paid leave being out. So, again, it's so interesting that even our phraseology for this, we just keep calling it the social spending bill, I don't even know. I mean, we talk about the things that could be in it, expanded Medicare, you know, child, child uh, uh, care we talk about. But I don't know what's actually going to be in it. Do, what, what is the what is the main feature yeah, the- of this entire spending plan?
11: Well, that is a source of debate amongst Democrats and has presented them with a messaging problem. To your point around paid family leave, uh, I spoke with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand just a little while ago, and she said she didn't even want to talk about what the contours of a compromise might be because she needs to talk to Senator Joe Manchin before she's willing to uh, discuss those details in public. So Democrats are trying to figure out what are their priorities here? How do they fund them? And that is all contributing to the sort of debate over what the size of the package should be and how are they're going to message this and sell it to the American people.
0: Yeah, no, I'm very, very curious to see if we do get it today or in in the coming days or weeks, what it looks like. Elon, thank you. I'm sure it's not the last time we'll see you in the the next few hours. Elon Moy is very busy on Capitol Hill. Still ahead, Teva Pharmaceuticals is down more than 11 percent over the past two days, getting hit by a one-two punch. First, sinking in sympathy with Novartis on their earnings miss, then its own results came in light. We'll dig into these numbers and the company's newfound ESG focus next. Remember, you can get to the show anytime, anywhere by listening to and following the Exchange Podcast. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of Teva Pharmaceuticals sinking today after they missed on the top and bottom lines due in part to slowing sales in North America. The world's largest generic drug maker also announced a $4 billion sustainably linked debt offering. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is Teva CEO Cora Schultz, along with our very own Meg Terrell. Meg?
13: Well, Kelly, thanks so much. And Cora, thanks for being with us today. You know, I want to start with the quarter. Uh, The stock is down on that miss, as Kelly mentioned. But you sounded pretty upbeat on the call. And actually, a a note from Bernstein that just came out uh, cited what they call an odd gap between your results and your communication, specifically that you still think you can meet your projections for your three biggest drugs. Tell us your response to that reaction.
12: Yeah, hi, Meg. It's great to be with you again. So my reaction is really that we give a uh, very sensible and well thought through guidance. And uh, when we're sticking to our guidance is because, of course, we are expecting to meet it. And it's not um, a big mystery how that happens. It's correct that we did reduce our revenue guidance last time uh, following the second quarter. And uh, we also uh, have a span uh, on the EPS guidance from 250 to 270 per share. And uh, we definitely expect to meet that. I think the reaction today is basically a combination of you saw Novartis wanting to potentially divest Sanders yesterday, which gives like a negative spin to the generic space. And then you see us having basically stable earnings and stable revenues, but no major new launches on generics. And that gives more of a negative spin to it than how we really see it, because we do see a quite stable US generic marketplace for our complex generics, for our biosimilars, So we remain confident in the generic space in the U.S.
13: Mm. Speaking of the Novartis news yesterday, what was your reaction to the fact that they're undertaking this strategic review for their generics business and how it could potentially affect Teva?
12: It's not a big surprise. It's really a copy of what Pfizer did with their opt business. You have some old products, you have some maybe slightly dying products, and then you want to get them off your business so that you'll show more growth in your specialty business. I think that's what happened with Pfizer and Option. And I think that's the thinking. I'm guessing, of course, I don't know, but that's probably the thinking at Novartis, that if they get rid of Sanders, then they'll have better key numbers, better ratios, better growth numbers. I think that's really what's driving it.
13: Now, I want to ask about you as well. You know, you came into this role about four years ago. You were talking about on the call. The real focus was paying off debt, really riding the ship there. It's been a tough road. Um, You know, Bernstein also points out you've got a five-year contract, and there's going to be a lot of questions about whether you're sticking around or or what the succession plan is going to be. What can you tell us?
12: Well, first of all, um, I actually have a six-year contract because I had a five-year contract, but uh, a while ago that was extended by a year, so I have a six-year contract. And uh, as you know, I set out long-term financial targets, and I did that in the beginning of 2018. And those targets are to be met at the end of 2023. As you know, we have a target of taking our net debt below three times EBITDA. We are firmly committed to that target. We also have a target of a 28% operating margin. We're also firmly committed to that and also to the 80% cash earnings so uh, we are on track for this and uh, i think it's very very likely that we'll meet these targets and that's really sort of re-establishing the company as a company without a threat from debt and with a solid uh, profit and loss solid margins and ready to grow into the future and eventually someday start not just paying a lot of money to the bondholders we actually paid something like 16 billion dollars over the last four years to the bondholders in interest rates and uh, pay downs on debt. But of course, eventually we can start paying the shareholders, but it's just a couple of years more. So people have to be patient just for a few more years, just like I am.
13: Mm. Well, on that question with, uh, with debt, you issued some really interesting notes today, tying to, su- to ESG and sustainability initiatives. Um, tell us about that um, strategy, uh, what these uh, bonds will enable you to do and, and the focus on ESG here.
12: Yeah, so we are very proud uh, to have done this. We are the first generic company in the world to issue these uh, sustainability-linked bonds where we have targets for access. So we have the starting point in sort of the U.N. sustainability goals and what can we as a company do to help the world. And we are committed to the environment and we are committed to access. And specifically on access being the largest manufacturer of medicine in the world we can do a lot of good by securing that the essential medicines that are on the WHO's list of essential medicines that these medicines can get out to low and middle income countries. So we've now committed to get more products registered in more countries to donate and supply more of these very affordable, high quality medicines to these low and middle income countries, and that's a well way to help society because with better healthcare you get better families you get more stability, you get more education, and that long, long term improves condition in low and middle income countries. So we're very happy about doing Mm, that. The actual sort of refinancing is quite simple. We, uh, you could say, sell some bonds, we take that money, and then we buy some other bonds. And the reason why we do it is that we have two big maturities in the coming years compared to our cash flow. Our cash flow is sort of somewhat above 2 billion every year. That means we can pay down a bit more than $2 billion every year, which we've been doing over the last years as well. Right. And we'll continue to do that. But we have a couple of years where it's three, $4 billion. So we are, you could say, moving that debt out five, seven, eight years.
13: I see. Well, it's very, very interesting. We look forward to keeping track of it and talking with you for at least two more years. Cara, thanks so much for being with us.
12: For sure. Thanks.
0: Carl Schultz is you. the CEO of Teva. Meg, thank you so much for bringing that to us, our own Meg Terrell. We have a lot more after this, including some developments on the infrastructure bill. Don't go anywhere. Breaking news out of Washington. Elon Moy is back. Uh, Elon, what's going on?
11: Well, Kelly, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is announcing that she wants to advance that social spending package by bringing it to the Rules Committee tomorrow. For a hearing. Now, that is a required step to uh, for any package before it goes to the floor. And Pelosi said that they are close to an agreement on the priorities and top line of the legislation and that they must have trust and confidence in an agreement for the Build Back Better Act. However, lawmakers still do not know exactly what is in this package. But this is an attempt by Democratic leadership to pressure those progressives into rallying around a framework for a deal so that lawmakers can pass the separate infrastructure bill before a critical highway funding deadline expires on October 31st. So here we have Nancy Pelosi trying to show that there is movement and progress on the social spending package, announcing that it will go before the Rules Committee tomorrow for a hearing. Kelly? Oh,
0: and the 31st, of course, as we all know, is Sunday. So that's a tight timeline. Elon, really appreciate it. Elon Moy, that does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.